This is the 343 Podcast. I'm your host, John Pronich. Welcome to the show. Adam Bells is the host of The Scuffed Podcast, an in-depth show about the U.S. men's national soccer team, the players who could one day make it better, and American soccer in general. On this podcast, you've probably heard me say things like, I absolutely hate podcasts that talk about scores and transfer rumors and injuries and a whole bunch of other crap that just doesn't matter. And when I first saw Adam's show, I literally thought that it was just going to be another one of those types of shows. But it turned out that it's not. Adam's show is actually something quite special. Adam burst onto the scene in late 2017 and became a premier source for quick, in-depth analysis of youth and senior national team players with the use of GIFs and short videos. Then, his podcast opened the door for deeper and more meaningful conversations about American soccer players. He found a void in the American soccer world that desperately needed to be filled. What was that void? Well, it was the void of... Well, I don't know if this is the right way to put it, but maybe I can switch it up a little bit. Adam provides... Yeah, I like this. I like this direction much better. Adam provides high-quality independent analysis. That is the best description that I can give you about Adam and his co-host Greg. And neither of them work for MLS, for US soccer, for anybody. And as you will hear in this podcast, they don't aspire to work for anyone at all. They're fans of the sport who just want to see the United States win, discuss the players in the pipeline, and talk about what is holding our country back. The work that these two guys do is truly, truly refreshing. And I think it's important to highlight good work and send people towards it. And I have full confidence in recommending these guys and encouraging you to go check out their work. Uh, All of the relevant links and a couple of snapshots of Adam's notes can actually be found at 343coaching.com. And that is also where you can see exactly what went into the making of some of the young American players that Adam is excited about. Guys like Ulianes, Alex Mendez, Efra Alvarez, The 343 Premium Coaching Education course gives you a look inside of the real training sessions that built those national team caliber players from the time that they were 10 years old until now as they are starting to sign pro contracts as teenagers. And it is actually that same 343 Premium Coaching Education course that funds this podcast. But if you are new to this uh, 343 platform, don't worry about signing up for the premium uh, course first. It's just dip your toes in the water with our free course and get a feel for how and why we do what we do. You can find all of the benefits of the free and the premium programs by visiting 343coaching.com. That's the numbers 343coaching, all spelled out, dot com. All right, enough for that intro. I hope that you guys are ready for this episode and I hope that you enjoy this episode of the 343 podcast with Adam Bells. John. Mr. Adam Bells. How are you? Doing good, man. How are you? 
I'm good. I'm excited right. for this. Yeah, me too, man. I'm I'm super excited. Um, tell tell me, hey, I'm sitting outside in a park. I hope that's okay. I don't know no, if you hear any ambient noise. It sounds great. I can hear I can hear a couple birds chirping, but it sounds it sounds amazing. <laughs> okay, good. okay, good. No, that's super funny. Actually, that's a that's a funny it's a funny spot to to maybe or just a funny story to tell you. So yesterday we tried to recreate this video of uh, of a professional player training like after after practice and uh, and it's like this pe- like it kind of sounds like this little peaceful kind of like Buddha esque environment that this guy's training in, and he's just hitting a <laughs> ball off a wall over and over and over again. So we wanted to recreate that for. Um, for our coaching education program. And so we go to the park yesterday and we record a bunch of stuff with, with some of the guys and we're reviewing the the film and lo and behold, like there's birds chirping in the background, just like it was in his video and uh, the original video we're trying to copy. So it's just, it was super funny that we nailed like Perfect. everything, including the birds. So. <laughs> yeah. I uh, hope it doesn't get annoying, but I, no, it's not, not annoying for me sitting here. Okay. Not at all. No, you're all good, man. Uh, okay. all right. You want to start on record or off record? <laughs> I can go either way. Whatever, uh, whatever you want to do. Let's, uh, let's, let's just go for it. I'm already, I'm already recording by the way. So you haven't said anything bad yet. Let's just, uh, let's just, let's just have a conversation and see where it takes us. And then, uh, I don't know, like 30, like 30 minutes or so. And, and then, uh, then we have some other stuff we can probably chat about. Excellent. Cool. Um, yeah, man. So, you you've kind of just like burst on the scene recently. I feel like I or I I've been aware or been made aware of your work more so recently, and it's good stuff, dude. And 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 that's part of the reason why I wanted to bring you on the podcast is because I want to introduce you to, to even more people. I don't know if our if our crowds overlap uh, at all, but uh, if if so, probably not much. And so I'm I'm hoping mm-hmm. to kind of introduce more people to your work because it's it's good stuff. And so. Yeah, I wanted to know how the hell did you come out of nowhere with with you know the stuff that you guys have, and then also find out you know what's behind all this work. Like why why do you do what you do? So you can yeah. kind of take that and run with it, I guess. Well, first of all, right back at you. I really I really enjoy your podcast. A lot of uh, substantive conversations with fascinating people, and you should be commended for that. Um, how I got into it is I'm, you know, I'm a lifelong soccer fan, lifelong player of soccer, and uh, I'm also kind of an obsessive person. And I got kind of obsessed with the national team and particularly like future future national team players uh, around uh, sometime in 2016. I mean, I was always a fan, but I got started to go pretty deep, and it got to the point where I had to justify the time I was spending on it with some kind of output. Uh, so I, so I started a newsletter in 2017, early 2017. And I started sending it every week. I'd write something about a, a prospect or about the latest game, try to try to be as interesting as possible and substantive. And that, that evolved into me making videos because I realized you know, these all these all touches videos of players are kind of the gold standard for the obsessive fan of soccer. You don't just want to see the goals; you want to see how how a player handles pressure, or uh, you know how they how they are alert to danger in defense. 
And I, I figured out how to make those, which is, you know, there's some copyright infringement danger there, but <laughs> <laughs> the audience, the audience is so small. It's probably okay. And I started making those particularly with Jonathan Gonzalez, the, the kid who was playing in Monterey, Monterey. I'm sure everybody in your audience knows about him. California kid playing for the U S youth national system. And it was just really fun to go through his performances in Monterey and notice all the little things he was doing well, and then make videos about it. So I started doing the, what's that? I'm, 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 I'm really curious, like how, how you went about like finding information as well. So I, or maybe, maybe, maybe at that point you weren't like discussing these, you know, you know, types of issues that you're discussing today. We can get into that in a little bit, but uh, at that point when you were making videos with Jonathan Gonzalez, was it, was it just, you know, you were finding, uh, you know, match footage somewhere else and you were recreating your own videos or were you like, I don't want to say seeking out like certain, certain types of moments, but um, maybe, maybe if you could just explain the process a little bit more, I shouldn't have interrupted actually. No, that's okay. That's good. That's a good question. So I, I think so the bottom line for me is you got to watch the game, you know, you got to, you got to really watch the game and you got to watch it closely. And I have two kids and I'm married to a woman I love. So I have, so sometimes I'm watching games when, when everybody's around, that doesn't really cut it. You got to watch it kind of, at least I have to watch it completely focused by myself and write down the timestamps of moments that catch my eye and then go back and cut the clips together. The, the thing with Gonzalez was it was it was crazy that an 18-year-old was starting for the best team in Liga Mekis at the time, and an American to boot. So I so I was like, what what is so good about this kid? He, he wasn't particularly uh, he wasn't particularly quality on the ball. I mean, he was good enough, you know, he's good enough for his role, but he wasn't he wasn't like Sergio Busquets or something, or not not even close. Obviously, he was so. So what? So in my quest to sort of figure out what he was doing right, and watching the games, I figured out what he was doing right was being extremely tactically aware in in defense and snuffing out anything that sort of came through the middle of the pitch. And so once you start, sort of key into like that's what he's doing well, then you notice those moments more easily and uh, and start to string them together in a video. Does that answer your question? No, it, yeah, it, it absolutely does. And so what happened after, you know, this fascination with, with Jonathan Gonzalez kind of, I guess, helped you kind of hone your skills? Like, you, like that's, it sounds like that's where, you know, the video creation really started and maybe took off. So what happened, you know, after you kind of settled in on Jonathan Gonzalez? Did, did other people catch your eye or? Yeah, so, so I, so it was, it was simultaneously Gonzalez and Weston McKenney. You know, not a lot of people were paying close attention to him, including Bruce Arena, I might add, <laughs> uh, <laughs> at the end of the summer. And, you know, on our podcast, we talk about this, like if, if Schalke, you know, one of the world's great clubs, decides to put Weston McKenney in the, in the 18 every Saturday or Sunday at the beginning of the season, and they send Benedict Howardus on loan to Juventus, then, you know, that's a pretty clear signal that Wes McKinney is, is something special. And, you know, we, so I, so I was watching every, every bit of footage I could find of McKinney, even when he was with the U19s last year. 
And then when he played in preseason games, I was I was watching those and trying to cut together together stuff. Phil McKenney, Gonzalez, you know, I don't I don't wouldn't spend that much time watching Christian Pulisic because everybody already knows about him and everybody's watching him anyway. Um, and then as you know, as as the USL season has gotten started, and we've got a bunch of players that you're very familiar with, Ulysses Giannis, uh, Alex Mendez, both at LA Galaxy 2, Ifra Alvarez, also at LA Galaxy 2, and then uh, Richie Ledesma at, at Real Salt Lake, and then there's some kids at, at Atlanta that are that are exciting to watch sometimes, like Andrew Carlton. Uh, as, that, as the USL season got started, you know, there's a lot of, opportunity for me to go in and watch those games carefully and, and try to draw something meaningful out of it, usually in the form of GIFs on Twitter. <laughs> and I should say, I should, I should say, I, I started the Twitter account in November um, to sort of, to sort of bolster this whole thing and then started the podcast in, I think, February or March. I have a buddy I know, I know you're a coach, and I know a lot of your listeners are coaches. I'm not a coach. I coached a little bit uh, a few years ago, but probably did a pretty poor job of it. I'm I'm just a I'm just a really I'm just a really insane fan uh, who I, I likes to think he has a good you know sort of sense of what he thinks of things and how to say it clearly. I I have a good friend in Des Moines, Iowa, and I'm I'm a native Iowan who is uh, who is a coach. And I, I spent a few months trying to persuade him to join me in a podcast because we, because we text back and forth. We used to text back and forth during games and and communicate a lot. And he's very smart. And finally, I persuaded him to to do it with me. And we've been we've been going weekly ever since. And I think it's really crucial. His name is Greg Velasquez. He's very he's crucial to the podcast because he's a lot smarter than I am and more tactically educated. <laughs> it's it's always funny to to hear you guys' conversations and you guys like I wouldn't necessarily call it banter, but you guys kind of just go back and forth with your predictions and and your opinions about players and coaches and teams and and it's yeah I, I think you you said it very well about him and yourself. You don't give yourself enough credit, but it's a very educated conversation and it's much different than what else is, is out there. There's a lot of, and I've talked a lot about this before about why I started my podcast is that there's a lot of shows out there that talk about transfer rumors and scores and injuries and red cards and and stuff. But that, I mean, you can, you can Google all that stuff. You can, I mean, that stuff's all available on Wikipedia, you know, for, you know, for the everyday fan, if they want to look that shit up, but it's very hard yeah. to do what you guys do where you guys kind of go back and forth and, you know, Hey, you know, did you see this guy's first touch or did you say that, did you see the way that this guy occupies this space? And, and those are the things that really kind of, you know, caught my attention when I started to, to listen to your show. And that's amazing that you, that you started that Twitter account in November, the podcast, uh, you know, however many months later, and you've grown a following, man. Like that—that's a—that's quite impressive. Now that I know a little bit more about the timeline, so congratulations to you. Yeah, thank you. And I and I, I do think the educated nature of the conversation is is a lot because of Greg. You know, he's he's a he's a really smart guy. But I but I think it's interesting you say that about you know a lot of shows talking about red cards and and you know like the controversies at the end of games and stuff. I just don't I just don't find that stuff interesting. Not you know? one bit. Not one <laughs> bit. <laughs> yeah. 
I, and, you know, you, you pull up like the uh, ESPN FC podcast I do every now and then, and it's like that's all they talk about sometimes. Is like why did he, uh, why did he go into that tackle so hard? I mean, I, I know that that's part of the game, but it's not my primary interest. I'm I'm hoping that you can maybe talk a little bit about your process of you know going through a game and and you you hinted at maybe a little piece of it earlier when you said that you kind of have to watch alone and and you timestamp everything but you know reviewing games and specifically reviewing your own games if you're if you were a coach which a lot of the people listening to this show are like you you kind of mentioned earlier too um reviewing your own games and 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 knowing what moments to highlight and and you know how to uh, take those moments and, and transfer those to your players or, or parents or fans or whatever. I think those are important skills that, that coaches need to learn. So uh, you mentioned you're not a coach, but that process can be very beneficial for the coaches that are listening to the show. So uh, I'm curious if you can kind of describe what you do for a game, you know, start to finish when you're going to sit down and watch something. Yeah. I, I mean, the, the best way for me to do it is to have the game on and have my phone and my laptop away from me and just have a notepad and a pen. So that's the best, that's the best way for me. That way I can, that's way I can really focus. Cause you know, a lot of times you say I'm watching an LA galaxy two game. If you look away for 15 seconds, for whatever reason, you, you could miss like a world-class turn in the middle of the field by Alex Mendez, you know, and, and it will go unremarked by the, by the broadcasters. So it's, I mean, that's my, that's my main sort of challenge to myself. And I think coaches know what they're looking for when they're watching their team's footage. But my main challenge to myself is just stay focused and, and watch, watch carefully. I'm making so, it sound like it's a really rigorous exercise. I'm basically watching TV, but <laughs> no, but, but I'm, I'm curious, like what catches your eye? So like what makes your pen move on, on the paper? So you're watching a game, you don't have your laptop or your, or your phone next to you and, and something, you know, stands out to you and, and you timestamp it. So what are the specific things that you're looking for? Or are there not specific things? Are you just writing down something that interests you or just catches your eye or. Yeah, I, what, catches my eye is is like possession being advanced in a way that it wouldn't you know wouldn't necessarily be by every player um does that make sense like a line breaking pass or a turn a turn in traffic and a and a nice find to somebody's feet or you know somebody handling a handling an attack in a in a way that goes above and beyond you know um, really getting after it and, and tackling the ball back or something like that. I, I obviously goals and assists. I try to, I try to figure out what exactly happened on those plays. Um, one example is, uh, Chris, Chris Durkin's a player that I try to watch pretty regularly. Plays for DC United. He's gotten, he's 18 years old. He's gotten some minutes this season, quite a few minutes. There was, a, there was a play, a goal scored by Darren Maddox in a game a few weeks ago where the opposing team had won the ball in the attacking third. And I noticed that, you know, I'm always watching for Durkin. I'm often watching for a specific player. I noticed that when they won the ball, Durkin immediately pushed up and denied a simple pass, uh, like, you know, 10 yards away. 
for the guy who was kind of pinned on the sideline. So the opponent pinned on the sideline had to take the next option, which was a, a more dangerous cross-field pass. And then Luciano Acosta, the Argentine midfielder, intercepted it and then flipped Maddox in and scored a goal. So I highlighted that on Twitter, not because like it was some world-class play by Durkin, but it just demonstrated a little bit of intelligence from the from a young central midfielder playing professional soccer to you know deny that pass, force a more difficult pass, and ultimately what resulted was a goal for his team. One of the things, too, that I think is important to highlight is your brutal honesty when you know, when you're putting these things on Twitter or when you're discussing these things on your podcast and, and there, there are moments like, you know, where people are hyping a certain player. You, you can, you can pick any of the players that you've, that you've named today. And, and you've said, you know, you've said honest things about all these players, but you, you don't follow the hype train. Like you, if, if somebody loses the ball, you point it out like, Hey, like, you know, this was a good pass, but it led to nothing. Or, you know, that was a good shot, but you know, he missed, or it wasn't the right opportunity to take the shot. Why did he take the shot? And, and you don't shy away from, from, uh, putting a clip up like, Hey, like, you know, here was a good turn. And then, you know, two, three, four seconds go by, but then he lost the ball. And I think that's super important because a lot of times people will highlight or yeah, we'll only show the highlights or we'll only talk about the highlights and they don't want to talk about the lowlights or the mistakes. And that's kind of like, yeah. a, I, I think a niche voice that you're, that you're filling right now in many different ways. But I think that specifically is, is that you're showing people, uh, you know, the full and, and, and complete picture. And, and that's very yeah, important. I'm, I appreciate that. I, I'm curious what you think. So I sort of struggle with this. I tend to not, I tend to not make gifs of, like, I'm not going to go out and make a compilation of bad plays from a uh-huh. player and put those on Twitter. Like, somebody did that Somebody did that for Tyler Adams against France, showing that Adams couldn't, isn't really capable of turning into space at this point in his career in the middle of the field. And I noticed the same thing. I noticed the same thing in the game, and I, and I was going to get ready to mention it in my podcast, which I did. But I didn't go out and, like, cut, that, cut those clips together and put them on Twitter. Partly because it seems a little, I don't know, seems a little negative or petty. Like my, Childish. My current, my, yeah, maybe. My current strategy is just to like highlight the good stuff and mention the bad stuff, you know? Yeah. And I don't know, well, what's your, what, what would be your philosophy there? Well, Adam, I, I think what, what, you're, what you're displaying is that you don't have uh, an agenda which I think is important. So somebody that puts out a video that's all highlights or that is all lowlights. So like, like the video you're referencing with Tyler Adams, it kind of seems like that's agenda based. Like, Hey, like, you know, this person, I don't know who this person is. Nothing about them. Right. Uh, might not, might not like Tyler Adams. And so he, he's trying to, you know, display, Hey, like, you know, this is, this is, this is Tyler Adams. It's like, no, but Tyler Adams has very good qualities as well. So what you do is, is, is you display everything. And I think that that's a beautiful strategy and it's actually something. So I kind of told you the story of of the video. We were trying to recreate a a training video uh, when we first started talking today. And so yesterday while we were making this video, we realized like, Hey, like, you know, there's a lot of mistakes that are being made as we're recording this. And so we're, we're, we're going to show those mistakes because if you just show the highlights of that, if you just show the polished, you know, product people think that that's reality 
and that's not reality. Right. And the reality is, is that, you know, every player makes mistakes. And if you think that, you know, everything has to be, you know, 100% polished, that's, that's a fantasy. And if, if people wanted to, they, I mean, people have, right. People make uh, hilarious compilations of, of Cristiano Ronaldo, you know, tripping over the ball and, you know, crossing it uh, <laughs> or trying to cross the ball and it goes out for a throw in or for a corner kick or whatever, right. or, or, or sorry, shooting and, and going out for a throw in is what I was trying to say. Um, you know, they make hilarious compilations like that, but, but it's Cristiano Ronaldo. So you have to take it with context, right? Like this guy, yeah. he's, he's a master at what he does. So I, I, I still go back to what I said a few minutes ago is I, I think that you're doing a good job of showing both sides in a very classy way, which I think is important. So that's my take. Good. Good. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a little bit of a balancing act. It is. There's no perfect way to do it. It is. But because, and, and this is something that, that we kind of talked about the other day as, as I was telling Gary that I was going to interview you, it's like, yeah, you're, you're not you're not beholden to anybody. It's just you like, like there's no reason for you to do this other than I think you said you're scratching your own itch. And you know, if you right. were, if you were doing this for, you know, MLS or if you were doing this for USL or, you know, for a specific player, even then it would be, it would be slanted that way or it'd be, you know, kind of biased, but you're not. And so that's why you're able to kind of tell both sides of the story or tell, you know, just you're able to just show whatever whatever you want or whatever is happening in front of you, and I think that yeah, I think that's super important. That's why I gravitated towards your work, to be honest. Cool. Yeah, I mean, I it's a cool it's a cool dynamic, really. In some ways, like if uh, if a promising player were to have, I mean, this is a terrible example, but if a promising player that I've been highlighting for a few months were to have a a really bad knee injury or something, which does happen sometimes, they would just, you know, uh, it would be really sad and, and you know, we would acknowledge that and wish them well and everything, but, you know, we would stop paying attention to them until, you know, until they, until they recover, recover. So I, I think that's part of it. It's like, I'm, I, I am not really beholden to anybody. I don't, you know, nobody's paying my bills, but, um, I'm also just like sort of laser focused on like who's going to help America have a better soccer team in the future. You know, it's absolutely it's pretty, it's pretty basic sort of interest. And uh, I, I guess one thing I'm curious about too is you guys talk a lot about you know you know selections for national teams, and you guys obviously watch a lot of games, and and you're aware of who's in the picture and who's out of the picture. How do you guys go about getting information? Do you guys, you know, just read the the stuff that gets published by U.S. Soccer, like the rosters that are going out, or um, do you guys just simply watch the games and listen to the commentators? I'm, I'm curious what your guys' uh, methods are for kind of just compiling all, all the information you guys dissect on the podcast. Um, well, definitely not from TV commentators. I think uh, that... <laughs> <laughs> the USL the USL commentators are generally not great and uh, I mean no offense to, to them but some are pretty good I should say some are pretty good I, I, when I watch all my sort of big league games whether that's the national team or or 
in the Liga MX, even uh, even some MLS games and all the European stuff I watch in Spanish with a language that I don't speak very well. So I'm not getting a lot from the commentators. <laughs> I I think I think the um, you know a lot of the information I have is the just the basic rosters. So I spend a lot of time thinking about youth national teams and. The rosters that U.S. Soccer publishes, I I'll, I'll copy and paste all of them and put them in one document, and and that way I sort of have an idea of I can like search a name and find out oh he was at this camp, you know he was he's never been at a camp before. Sometimes they note that in the the roster. That's one thing I do to sort of collect information. I don't think there's a lot of valuable analysis of these players out there. Would you agree? I mean, I there's, ab- absolutely agree. <laughs> there's, you know, there's some people like you know Gary has Gary Gary has some really clear opinions and knows the game obviously really well. He doesn't need me to say that. Um, so I there are a few people like him that I kind of pay attention to. Uh, I pay attention to you. I pay. I know maybe you aren't on the best terms with him, but I pay attention to Matt Doyle <laughs> and. Um, you know, there are some others who who are paying attention, who have who have some ability to to speak a little bit of insight. But I think watching the games, like I said, you got to watch the game. You got to watch these kids play. Otherwise, you just don't really know because there's not a lot of info out there. There are some people on Big Soccer, the forum, which is you know, which can be a minefield of like bad information. But there's there are some people on Big Soccer who know what they're talking about and can be trusted. And there are some people in our U S soccer, the subreddit who are the same. I mean, both, both mediums have their drawbacks, but there's, there's good information to be gleaned there. You are a brave, brave man for, uh, uh entering the waters of big soccer. <laughs> <laughs> I gave up on that a yeah, long time I mean, ago. Really? Yeah. I mean, it's, I'm not on there every day. I am. I am on our U S I do check out our U S soccer every day. Um, but yeah, I guess the bottom line is you just got to watch the games. Otherwise, how, how would you know how these kids, how good these kids are? There's just not a lot of clear quality analysis of them. Yeah. And you do it. You, I think you just mentioned a second ago that you tend to focus more on the youth national team players and, and that, which is a very difficult job because, you know, a player gets called into one camp and like all of a sudden now you have to track, you have to track him and, and then, you know, two new players coming in the next camp and all of a sudden you got to track those two players and that player pool grows and grows and grows at, at all times. It's always changing. So it's not an easy job to, to track all these guys. And, and I think that's why you don't see a lot of quality analysis is because it, it it's so difficult to do a good job with it. And uh, I, again, I go back to what I said in the very beginning of this, uh, of this episode is that I want to introduce people to your work because I feel like it's quality work and, and you deserve the recognition for, for doing this job that nobody else really wants to do. So uh, that, that was the whole genesis of uh, this phone call. Yeah. Thank you, John. It's, it's, uh, it is, there is a lot of turnover in the, in the pool, but you know, you can watch, you can watch a game and not only learn that you want to learn more about a certain player, but you can learn that you don't need to know that much more about a certain player too. That's a good point. That's a really good point. So, so you can 
So, you know, every game you watch, you can sort of, you can sort of narrow your focus. And, and the, the truth is with the U20s, which is the you know, who have a World Cup coming up in 11 months. That's the, you know, that's sort of what I've been thinking about a lot lately. They have, they have qualifiers in November. And Tab Ramos has two camps between now and then to sort of narrow down the roster and figure out who's going to be in the 23. And, you know, you, you can watch a game and see, oh, this U19 is, you know, he's scored a lot of goals in the development academy, but he just doesn't look like he belongs on the field with the rest of the U19s. And you can sort of just scratch him off the list, as cool as that sounds. I mean, then you can, then you can be outraged when Tab Ramos calls him up, if you want. But. <laughs> Um, Adam, yeah, I, I want to, I want to kind of end with, uh, a couple things that I think, uh, can introduce people to exactly the way that you and your, and your co-host kind of host your show. So I, I want to ask you about maybe not necessarily the U twenties. I don't want to limit it to the U twenties, but I want to ask you who you're excited about right now at the, at the younger levels of, of the U S national team programs. And tell me why. Yeah, yeah. I'm so I'm so glad you asked that. So the so the number one kid I'm excited about, if if anybody's following me on, me on Twitter, they will know this is uh, is Richie Ledesma, and I think he's I think he's still flying under the radar a lot. He's 17. He grew up in Phoenix, I believe, and he got in with the Real Salt Lake Academy through their Casa Grande satellite, and now he's playing pretty regularly with their USL side, Real Monarchs. He's a versatile player. He's, he's pretty right-footed, but he here's why I'm excited about him. He can play on the wing and cut in on his right foot. He can play as a 10, which is what he's been doing for the Monarchs lately. And he can even play as a 6, which is what Tab Ramos had him doing with the U-20s in a couple friendlies against France earlier this year. Uh, a, a couple friendlies in which he looked really good. So I think... He's, he's a little bit, just to give people a sense of him, he's a little bit, looks a little bit like Pulisic sometimes with his ability to accelerate and his close control. But he has, a, he has an eye for a pass that I don't think Pulisic had at this age and maybe not quite as pacey as Pulisic. And he's also, uh, he's just really, really, really calm on the ball. He's one of the he's one of the kids you watch who you say to yourself, that kid wants to play football. You know, he wants to he wants to turn with the ball at his feet and make stuff happen. And I'm super excited about him. I know Tab Ramos is too. He's he's uh, he's mentioned him as a core part of the team, and he just broke onto the scene, the youth national team scene, in the last six months. I think his first call up was that mega camp in January when they had like 150 guys from different age groups there. I like uh see this is another reason why I like your your kind of analysis is that you kind of mentioned that, and this is how I interpreted it is is that Richie wants the ball and there that that's something that you know do, doesn't get highlighted enough it's like 
when you're watching a game, you can tell what player wants to get on the ball and what player doesn't want anything to do with it, which sounds crazy, right? Like you're playing soccer, you should want the ball. There are players that want absolutely nothing to do with the ball. And that's why you get, you know, launch fest 2018 when you watch some USL games. And, um, <laughs> right. but, but, but when you watch a player like Richie, yeah, it's like, yeah, he wants the ball at his feet and, and he wants to be the one that kind of dictates, you know, what's going to happen next or what's going to happen two, three, four plays from now with the types of passes or, or dribbles that he, that he makes. And it's very, very important for, for people to watch. And, and it's not an easy thing. Uh, it's not an easy thing to pick out it. it it comes with like like you've been doing, watching a shitload of games, and yeah. you know, watching a shitload of games. Of, not not just a shitload of games, but watching the same player, watching a shitload of, of games of the same player. Like you you can't just watch one game of, of somebody and think that you know oh here's my analysis on Tyler Adams. It's like no, you have to watch Tyler Adams like 10, 15, 20 games or or one, two, three, four years to really get a a, a good analysis of what his skill sets are, and I. I, I don't think it's too too far of a stretch to say that you and your and your co-host do that. Is it Greg? Is that his name, right? Yeah, Greg. Greg yeah, Velasquez. I I don't think it's too far fetched to say that you guys do a good job of that because the way that you guys analyze players and the way that you guys talk about games and camps and and seasons and and teams, it's, I I think you can kind of see that you guys have have gone for a deeper dive than than most. Yeah, I think there's. I think it shows that there's room for this. You know, there's room for this kind of analysis, and um, there's there's probably room for a lot more. You know what I mean? Um, one more thing about Richie is that he he uh, he looks he plays he plays in USL like I said, but when you watch him, he looks like the best player on the field. Uh, to me, he does. He looks. He you know maybe he's a little bit weak on the ball since he's, you know, five, six younger, years younger than a lot of the players around him. But he just he just passes the eye test. He say like that kid that kid is if not the best player on the field, he's one of the best players on the field for the best team in USL, which I realize isn't that high of a bar, but <laughs> do you do you want to hear a couple others that I'm excited about or absolutely we're running out of time. No, go um, for it. Yeah, you know, so one that you're one that you know a lot better than I do, but I've I've watched pretty much all of his minutes this spring is Alex Mendez. And he's another one that Tab Ramos is really high on. He's a left-footed center mid. Kind of can be a 10, but I think he's more comfortable as an 8. Is that right? I would say so. Right now, I think in the last couple games with uh, with Galaxy 2, he's kind of been deployed more like a 10. It kind of looks like they've been playing two two holding midfielders almost and Alex being like the, the tip of that triangle. Um, not, I'm not really right. too sure what, what's happening there, but they've also been missing players and, you know, Efra has been gone on, on national team duty with Mexico. And, and so, you know, could that potentially be his role in galaxy? I don't know. There's a lot of, uh, a lot of other stuff happening, happening there that uh, kind of makes the, the positions weird, but yeah, Alex an eight or a 10. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. He's, as you know, I mean, he's he's another kid who wants the ball at his feet, and and he's always looking. He's looking for that killer pass. He's got he's got some uh, exciting teammates too. Ulianas, Ulianas, on the left wing, always making smart runs, and Alex is looking to pick him out. I think Ethan Zubak, who's who's not one of the kids I'm excited about, but I think he's he's gotten a lot better this season. Their striker is uh, is 
is a good target for Alex too. So Alex is a great passer. He's also pretty tough in the tackle and, and has, a, it seems to me a good understanding of 360 degree space in the middle of the field. He knows where he is and he knows where his markers are and he sort of uh, leverages that information to his advantage. So I really Adam, like him and I, Adam, I, I was going to, I was going to bite my tongue, but I'm going to ask, I want to, I want to yeah. make sure I, I, I clarify this. So you mentioned, and, and I'm not, this isn't a slight on, on Ethan at all, but you, you mentioned that Ethan has gotten better this season. Was that, uh, were, were, were you trying to hint that like Alex is making Ethan better? Like by the, by the distribution that Alex is kind of giving through the midfield or was, was that meant to go a different direction? No, I, I, I didn't mean that specifically. I, I just was pretty low on, I was pretty down on Ethan a few weeks ago. And I just noticed in the last couple of appearances, he did have like four goals a couple of weeks ago. That's not what I'm referring to. I just noticed in particular uh, on Sunday, actually, he was, he was holding up the ball and finding passes that, I mean, this isn't science. So don't like, you know, <laughs> don't, don't quote me on it, but it seemed like he was, it seems like he was finding passes that he was wouldn't have found a month ago. One in particular gotcha. where he held, he held up the ball on the right wing and then he he like poked a little a little ball through to Aguilar the the right back um, who was making a run to the inside of him. It was a really nice pass and I don't think I would have seen that uh, a month ago. That that doesn't you know to your point earlier about like one play doesn't make analysis. I I agree with that, but it was an encouraging sign. And a, and a signal to me that maybe he's improving. No, it, that's it's, all I meant by that. Yeah, and that's that's an example of I think what I asked earlier is like, hey, like what makes you move your pen? And so when you saw that, and you're like, oh, okay, you know, I'll note that, and let's see what happens next. Right. Nice. I don't put I don't put Ethan in the same category with these other guys because uh, well, I don't think he's I don't think he's young enough to be a U20 for one thing. So I'm not watching him and timestamping his stuff in the same way I am with Alex and Uli, but that would be, if I were, that would be the kind of thing that makes me move my pen for sure. All right. So who, who else, uh, you mentioned Richie, you mentioned Uli, Alex, and, and obviously people are going to think that I brought you on this show just so you could, you know, rave about those guys, but that, that obviously, or that, that couldn't be further from the truth. Um, it just happens. No, well, is, what's your, what's your guys' connection to, what's your connection to Richie? Is there, is there one? No, absolutely none. Okay. Um, yes, Richie, I mean, the guy, the guys know who he, who, who he is. Um, yeah. And they've been in and out of the national team camps together. They've obviously played against each other for, you know, many years in, in the development Academy when the guys were with, I actually, I don't know. See, I don't know enough about Richie's history to know when he joined the, the Casa Grande. Um, uh, yeah, team, I think so. they did. They have played together, played against each other at least for a couple of years. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. So I, I, I don't know enough about Richie's history to say when, but yeah, they, they, I mean, this is, this is funny. Uh, you could, you can kind of use that saying like game recognizes game. So like the good players on the field recognize who the other good players in the field are. So like after the game, like, you know, who goes and shakes hands or at the pro level who trades jerseys and, and whatnot. And so I, I think it could be one of those moments where, you know, the guys that, that we're familiar with, they obviously know who the best players are on all the other teams that they play against. And those are the guys they you know tend to interact with or, or be friends with or 
Um, I could be speaking out of turn there, but I, I, I feel like that's, that's kind of the case. It sure seems that way. They, they, they always take pictures together at the U20 camps. Those, those guys do. Um, who else I would say, well, you know, I'm really high on Jonathan Amon, the, the left winger who plays in Denmark. He kind of, he kind of short circuited the whole system by going over to Denmark when he was 16 and going to a boarding school. I don't know if you've read about this, but he's, uh, he's an extremely dangerous uh, winger who likes to take people on. And as you know, with that, that's really in short supply in the national team pool. He's done, he's been injured a lot this year, but since breaking into the first team for FC Nordschland, he's, I think he has two goals and three assists and like six appearances. So, and that's, you know, that's against pretty decent competition. Like one of his assists came after he just roasted Denmark's uh, starting right back in who will be playing in the world cup in a couple, in a week. See, I even like the so language I, that you use. I even like that you say like roasted and things like that. Cause that's, that's good analysis. I feel like. <laughs> Thanks. Uh, Eamon, I'm, I'd be surprised if Eamon's allowed to play with the U20s um, if he's healthy in the fall because Northland has invested a lot in him and they want to get you know they want to get some production out of him and I think that'll be true of a, like which is a good sign I think for the for the nation for the national team program there sh- there could be four or five maybe six age eligible players who are not released by their clubs Josh Sargent probably won't be released. Jonathan Amon may not be released. Chris Durkin, we'll see, you know, how the season goes for him and if if perhaps he makes a move, although it doesn't seem that likely given the history of the league. Um there are there are three others, but they're not immediately coming to mind for me. Uh, Andrew Carlton is the other one who's likely to be available that uh that I think is really exciting. He I think I'll he and you, he and Uli are are similar in some ways. They they're both capable of magic on the ball. Um, I think Uli's a little cleaner on the ball than Andrew is, but they're both they both give up the ball a lot too in USL, and um, I think that's where Richie and Alex separate themselves a little bit is just the professionalism they play with. They don't. They don't give up the ball cheaply. Um, so that's my that's my analysis. Yeah, no, it's good stuff, man, and it's it's a good observation because I think it was somebody earlier this year. Man, that siren's loud. <laughs> Sorry about that. No, no problem. I'll uh, I'll try to I'll try to edit this. I'm gonna make a, a note on time. Forty forty three twenty eight. Should I say what I said over again, or? No, it, it'll it'll be good. Um, yeah, I might I might just let it ride. I don't like to edit, so. Um, okay. Sounds like it's going away from me now. Um, but yeah, no, that's 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 a good observation about Uli and and, and Andrew and and a lot of wingers in general losing the ball because you know, that's kind of a risk taking position. Not saying that you know they should be applauded for for losing the ball, but in that right. in that position. 
you, you typically will have the highest rate of turnover because of the risks uh, that you're trying to take in, in, the, in that area of the field. It's like you wouldn't want the same turnover rate for your center back, obviously, but you also, right. you also wouldn't want your wingers to be playing safe passes uh, over and over and over again because then there's going to be no opportunities. Um, That's right. And, and I think somebody somebody put out a graphic, and I, I didn't, you know, fact I don't fact check hardly anything, but um, uh, <laughs> but somebody put out a, a document or a, a stat about Messi, like Messi has the highest turnover rate in La Liga or some something like that. It's like, well, yeah, that's believable because he has he number one he always has the ball, and number two he's always taking people on. And, and yeah. so it's like, yeah, he, he might turn the ball over a lot, but how many times is, is he successful? Uh, and so it's, it's kind of like there's more context that you need to uh, take when, when you look at those types of, of things. And, but I do think that that's accurate analysis to, and, and good to highlight that, hey, yeah, like, you know, Carlton turns the ball over a lot. Uli, you know, Uli doesn't always keep possession. Those are important things to, to mention. So, yeah, I think. That said about those two guys, I think they are, um, you know, they're both, they're both can be brilliant. And um, I, was, I, I watched the, the Sunday night game for the Galaxy and I mean, Uli's explosiveness and close control in tight space is, is just a joy to watch. I mean, if he gets that, if he can couple that with, you know, just, uh, I don't know, a 25% reduction in possession loss and a little bit more end product, he's going to be just terrifying. And um, if Carlton can can get a little stronger on the ball and a, just a little bit less sloppy, it, I mean, it'd be, it'd be really fun to watch those guys together. Ledesma, Alex, Uli, and, and Andrew, because I, I think they could, you know, they could all be drifting in and out of each other's space. It could just be a nightmare for uh, opposing defenses to deal with in qualifying and in the world cup, they need a number nine because probably Josh Sargent won't be available as, as I mentioned. So the, maybe the last one I'll mention, so I don't talk everybody's ear off is, uh, is Sebastian Soto who, who plays also plays for the place for the RSL Academy. He's a real true number nine, six feet tall. Um, but what, but what what and he scored forty two goals for the development in the development academy is by far the leading scorer in the nation and at the U nineteen level. But what really uh, convinced me about him is is watching him in some some of these U nineteen matches in Slovakia. He's he's extremely clever and clean with his passing, coming back to the ball and linking up with you know attacking midfielders and wingers, and and then his movement is pretty good too. After he after he releases the ball, he's he's making purposeful runs into the box, and with you know 42 goals in in one season, it's it's clear he knows how to put it in the back of the net. So I think there's a good chance he'll he'll be the one who steps in and replaces Sargent, who's sort of likely to graduate out of the out of the group. And I'm I'm psyched to see uh, you know that list of names together attacking. For the 20s and i was just in my head thinking that all all you highlighted were attacking players you didn't highlight a defensive player not to say there aren't any to be excited about but it's exciting to be excited about attacking players for you know for once in u.s soccer uh because i i don't feel like we've had very many of those moments over you know the course of maybe more so like the last 
well, definitely the last few years, but maybe the last decade, it's like attacking and, and, and those types of players have been missing from, from our, our puzzle. And so, Oh, it's, this, it's absolutely true. It's absolutely true. The last U 20 cycle, they had to bring Sargent up from a lower age group because they just didn't have any attacking quality on that side. They had a bunch of, they had a bunch of center backs and some good center midfielders, but they didn't have really anything going on up top except for Sargent in that tournament, in that World Cup. And they made it to the quarterfinals just based on pretty good defense and pretty strong midfield play, and then Sargent poaching a goal here or there. But, you know, to have five or six, and, and there's other, there are other names that we don't need to get into who could who could step in, Paxton Pomacall, Nick Taitagwe at Schalke, if, he, you know, if he's released, who... Who could who could fill in too and play similar roles to have six seven eight guys like that who are all good on the ball can possess and want to make stuff happen I think that's a big that's a big change like you said I don't know who's who's responsible for it Gary <laughs> for no I that's that's a that's that's funny um, yeah the... partly at least Gary yeah and and um. <laughs> And, you know, it's a, it is an encouraging sign. There aren't, that's one of the weaknesses of this cycle is there aren't a lot of sort of slam dunk center, center backs. There's Mark McKenzie who plays for the Philadelphia Union and has started a lot of games for them at MLS. He's, he's probably going to be the starter, but then the question is who's going to be his partner. And I think that's an open question at this point. I mean, you know, we'd have to get Ta- Tab Ramos on the pod to confirm that, but that's just my sense of things. Yeah, it's it's and that's a that's a funny point too because I was like, eh, like, you know, maybe maybe I can start interviewing some of these U.S. soccer guys. Then in my head, I started to think like, no, like they like that's it's maybe you know a little too far fetched to think that Tab would come on a show like this or you know that any of the the youth national team guys. And then I was kind of cruising around some other podcasts that that I listen to from time to time, and one of those is the the Just Kicking It uh, podcast, and there's just two coaches hmm. that have you ever heard of those guys? No. No, I yeah, should check it out. Yeah, they're 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 worth a listen. Um, I mean, some of the episodes I I just I skip right over. I have no interest in in the guests, but uh, but they had Tab on the show uh, not not too long ago, like like late last year, I think. And I was like, hey, like you know, I'll give this a listen, and and it was it was really insightful. Um, but I, I I don't know how many how many times Tab wants to be interviewed. I don't know if he wants to make the rounds. Uh, yeah, like some, of the, like some of the other guests. So, right. Yeah, I've I've thought about asking him for my pod pod too, but had exactly the same sort of I've walked it back in my own head in exactly the same way. Maybe maybe in a year or two. We'll see. Yeah. Yeah. Um what what is the the idea or or the, the goal for your guys' podcast now? Like you guys are a few months into it, the the Twitter account is, is taking off, the the short videos are, are making a huge splash. So what's uh what's what's the plan for all this content? Yeah, I mean, the plan, uh, candidly, is to grow the podcast audience because that's, like, the clearest way to, you know, to get something back out of it. Um, uh, but, yeah, I'm still trying to figure that out. I'm still trying to figure that out. I got to I gotta, I gotta go to my wife with some kind of plan. Otherwise, she's going <laughs> to kill me. Um, so you are beholden so, to somebody. Oh, uh, yeah, that's true. I am. She's, <laughs> she's fine. She's fortunately not, uh, she's not beholden to anybody in the soccer world by any stretch. Um, 
Yeah, so I am beholden to her. I got to figure out some kind of plan. I think I'd like to see the podcast through a World Cup cycle. And I think there's a strong rationale for that. The sport is growing. The sport is growing in this country. I think its popularity is growing. The popularity of podcasts is growing. And you know, I think I think if I can see if Greg and I can see this through weekly or maybe even bi weekly once the once the sort of action picks up next summer. We that would be a real test of like what is the actual audience for this, you know? Because I don't know if it's, you know, we're, we're 15 episodes in and we're growing. We're not growing at like a just like alarming rate. And so I don't have a good sense of like, are there are there 20 are there 2,500 people who are nuts enough about soccer to listen to us talk about it this way? Or are there 25,000 people? I don't know. I honestly don't. So I got to figure that out. Well, one of the notes that I have written down on my computer right in front of me, I'll just read it word for word. Please, for the love of God, don't go work for MLS or U.S. soccer. And before you even think about that, please come knock on our door. Okay. <laughs> that was word for word of what I have in my notebook right now. <laughs> I don't like, so I'm, I am kind of a, I am kind of a jerk. I don't like being told what to do very much. So Absolutely. I think there's, there's not too much, there's not too much fear of that of me going to work for in Chicago or New York. Oh, um, you'll, you'll be surprised once, once you hit, I don't want to say once you hit a certain level, but, but once you hit maybe a certain topic and, and you display knowledge on a, on a certain topic or, you know, you catch the, the right person's eye, you, you know, you'll, you'll maybe be surprised at uh, who slides into your DMS or uh, who, uh, yeah, who who calls your phone or or things like that? Because yeah, the not saying like the offers will come, but you know, people will start paying attention to your work. The certain people will start paying attention to your work, and it's that's a that that'll be another good test, I think, for you and Greg. Like, hey, like, what do I do when when you know this person hits me up about you know what I said about this team or this player, or blah 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 blah. Um, yeah, I know. I, I've had a couple of those moments, and I know that some of the other people that that host soccer shows similar to what you do and similar to what I do have experienced that as well. And how you deal with that, I think is going to be a, a big indicator of where you go with the show in the future as well. It's interesting. Yeah. I, I haven't, you know, I, I want to have good relationships with people in U S soccer and, and, um, I want to, I want to be fair, you know, with what I say, but I, I haven't been, you know, nobody's come at me and said, Hey, you, you can't say that yet. So it'll be interesting to see how I, you know, how that plays out. I, sh- I should say, you know, one thing I haven't mentioned is I am a full-time reporter at a newspaper at the newspaper in Minneapolis. So I'm a, I'm right now I cover city hall and, um, and what I, uh, what I'll be doing in a month or so is covering agriculture. I'm, I'm a little bit more of a business reporter by nature, but covering city hall, like politics, local politics here in a city that's very politically, there's a lot of political froth, uh, very active population and 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 intelligent uh, readership. It's 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 pretty intense, man. It's like uh, I like I, I said on the podcast last yesterday. It does make it makes U.S. soccer Twitter and some of the you know the things that people get upset about seem pretty tame in comparison. To be honest with you, it's like 
some of the, I covered an election campaign last year and the intensity of that is, has seared me for life, to be honest. <laughs> I'm, my, my, as, and as a result, my skin got a lot thicker and, um, I've gotten a lot, you know, maybe, maybe 24 months ago, I would have been anxious to rebut every criticism. I'm not so much that way anymore. Yeah. That's, and a, that's, another, a, that's a good observation. Another, another reason I bring that up is I don't understand how, like from an ethical perspective, I know there, I get that there are sort of house, house reporters for MLS soccer.com and i as i as i mentioned earlier i i read a lot of what matt doyle writes and i find it useful i don't understand how you can like be a independent journalist and also have your stuff published by the league that doesn't that doesn't make well i mean i don't want to be too hard on it but it just doesn't quite square with like my 10-year education and the ethics of journalism it's a interesting. It's an interesting landscape, and and I've been fortunate to you know create friendships with with some of the guys that that do have those jobs, and some of the guys that no longer work for MLS or US Soccer, and and I've had a number of different conversations with people that have been on both sides of the coin, guys that have had their credentials pulled, and guys that have you know kind of walked the line the right way, and and always stayed in in good graces. And I think a, a little bit ago, you said it's kind of like a balancing act of, of you know, how you cover certain things, like um, displaying the, the good qualities versus the bad qualities. And that's one thing that, that I have for sure confirmed with multiple sources on a number of different occasions is, is that if you decide that you want to say something bad about an MLS player or a U.S. soccer player and you are on the payroll, that you will get a slap on the wrist and, and you are at risk of losing your credential. And that's not to say that people don't do it, but uh, they are discouraged from doing it. And here, here's an interesting, an, an interesting thought too is that, uh, hold on, let me, let me make sure I say this the right way. Um, okay. Since since starting three four three or you know starting a blog ten almost ten years ago now, and, and the topics that you know Gary chose to cover, man, I, I hope he doesn't roast me for this. Um, the the needle has has moved in a certain direction, right? So. Uh, you know, certain topics have, have been brought up on ESPN, have been brought up on Fox and blah, 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 blah. Now it, I'm not, I'm not trying to, you know, take full credit or, or give Gary full credit for, for moving that needle, but it's interesting to see the types of conversations that are, are actually allowed to happen now that would have been forbidden in the past. And I, I'd like to think that, that shows like my podcast and blogs like Gary's and there's a number of other guys out there that are doing great work. I, I, I would like to think that, you know, some of these little guys have moved the needle and allowed some of the big guys like Taylor Twelman or Alexi Lawless or Matt, even Matt Doyle or Jason Davis to cover certain topics because before they wouldn't have been able to do that. Um, and now I'm getting sidetracked to where, where, where I was going with that, but, um, yeah. So, so there's, you, you've noticed a shift a little bit in the last, uh, few years, mm, five, a shift, a positive five, shift. 
positive shift last five years, not necessarily a positive shift, but you know, uh, kind of like a, a, a new, a new door has opened for these guys that have been, you know, reporters for MLS or reporters for us soccer or a major media outlet. And now, you know, they're able to kind of step through that door where before they, they weren't able to. And, and it's that, that has been positive. I think that that's been very positive. And you saw a lot of, uh, you saw a lot of people step through that door last year during the, uh, you know, right after the loss to Trinidad and Tobago and, and leading up to the election. You saw a lot of people really kind of come out of their shell and, and, and decide to cover topics. The bummer part is that they've, a lot of those guys have seemed to kind of go back into their shell. They've they've kind of relinquished their or that opportunity to, to step further and, and they've decided to kind of go softball again, which is a bummer, but... You know, you know. At least they tried. I guess is is one way to look at it. I don't know. I don't know if that's the right way to yeah. look at it. That's interesting. I, you know, I, I don't do any really classic soccer journalism in the sense of like talking to, getting people on the record, getting them to tell me stuff. I don't do. I don't really do that right now, aside from like the occasional interview on the podcast, uh, which are not very hard hitting interviews. Um, but so I don't know. I don't know that much about how the league operates or the fed really, but to the extent that the league would, re- would, you know, re- remove someone's credentials for writing something negative about somebody that is just, that's to the extent that that's true. That's totally small time Bush league stuff. You know, great institutions have big shoulders and, uh, thick skin and they're happy to be covered. I mean, that's like, that's, 75% of the fun of the league is talking about it, you know, of the sports, talking about it and analyzing it and, you know, arguing about who should be doing, doing what on the field and where, where players should be playing on the field and who's doing a good job and who, who's not. That's if, if people are having their credentials uh, withdrawn for, for engaging in the basic sort of conversation around sports, that's extremely disappointing. It is. It's, it's I will, super disappointing. I, and, and, one of the things that I've been I've been fortunate enough to talk to you know I've been very fortunate to talk to guys like Rocco Camiso and 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 I've had him on the podcast uh, actually two times I think now, um, but but one of the, one of the reasons why he enjoys coming on a podcast like mine is that it's it's unfiltered like he can say the things that other people won't won't cover, and the the analogy I I tend to use is like if you consider MLS CNN okay then we're Fox or vice versa right but in the mainstream of American soccer media there is no vice versa it's all one so it's all Fox or it's all CNN or whatever however you want to you want to describe it right but there's no alternative voice in in the mainstream like ESPN Fox um BN uh whoever else covers you know uh, professional American soccer it's all just the same there's no there's there's no um yeah there's no opposite side being being or opposite story being told and so that's why i feel like the responsibility of us little guys to really tell the other sides or tell this the the stories that don't get told on espn or sports illustrated or the max and herc podcast or you name it right so in a way i kind of feel responsible for that now more so than ever before um yeah, but but like you said, I, I I I'm not a trained journalist. I don't I don't know how to get people you know on the record or whatever you know I, or go 
put things through a fact checker, things like that. So that's not my expertise, but uh, I'm more than willing to bring somebody on and have a conversation for an hour or two hours or or whatever it takes. And so I feel like that's more real than taking sound bites and, and, and clipping together, you know, a couple paragraphs off of a, a, you know, a conversation that who knows what was actually said. So, right. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, well, I am, you know, I am a trained journalist and I, and I, though I'm not a practitioner in the soccer, in soccer. So, and one, one other, one point I wanted to make, uh, even before we got on the phone is, you know, I know, there's a lot whenever there's whenever some sort of long piece about the world cup failure comes out, everybody has a take on it and people criticize it or, you know, people love it. And I, I would say just as somebody who's done a lot of reporting um, in other spheres and been, been on the end of criticism for it, my, my sort of call to you and all your listeners is, is go after the pundits all you want, you know, go after them hard. Uh, you know, if a pundit says something stupid, if Alexi Lawless says something dumb, you know, crush them on social media, do, do whatever. But, but I would say make a little bit of a distinction between that and the guy who calls 25 people and tries to weave a narrative together. Cause it's not easy. You know, it's hard to do that. And, um, there are, and it's also never perfect. So it's, there's, there's room for criticism, but I just think my sort of opinion on it is the criticism should be pretty specific. You know, uh, if there's something wrong with this, this well-reported, uh, you know, ostensibly well-reported piece on whatever topic, so long as the person was picking up the phone and calling people or, you know, showing up and interviewing people and trying to like, trying to weave it together in a meaningful way for readers, uh, if we're going to go after that person, we should be, we should have like, you know, pretty specific examples of like, Hey, you didn't, this is what you didn't mention. That's why this is a problem. Um, that's just my, that's my little soapbox on the whole thing. <laughs> oh, I, and I, 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 I agree with you, Adam. I agree. Yeah. Okay. And I, I, cause, cause you know, I get, I've, I've written stories in my life and, and you'll get like, you get like 10 different people criticizing you for criticizing the piece for 10 different reasons that can't all be solved in, uh, at the same time. You know, if you solve one, then you, then you enhance the case of the other person who's criticizing you. And it's, you know, it can get a little nitpicky. That's my, that's my little ax to grind. <laughs> no, it, it, and it always comes back to, and this is something I think about a lot and especially, you know, because I'm not trigger shy, I guess is a good way to put it. Like I'm, I'm not somebody that will, um, I guess, uh, I'm, I'm not afraid to say anything is, is, is probably the best way to describe it. And I'm, I'm yeah. probably more often than not saying things too quickly before actually thinking them through. And so people, if they've listened to this podcast, they've heard me say like, yeah, like recently I've tried writing things down instead of just tweeting them out because it's been an exercise for me to, you know, uh, really think things through. But of course I'm not perfect at it. And I, you know, I, I talk shit on Twitter all the time and, um, and it, it can, it can get me in hot water sometimes. And, and what I actually really wanted to say is that I frequently, I frequently come back to the fact that, you know, everybody 
is a human and it sounds like super, you know, weird for me to be talking about this type of stuff, but humanizing people I think is very important. And I feel like the battles that we get in on Twitter on a daily basis dehumanize people. It's like, you're just talking or you're just typing on a keyboard. You're, uh, you're, you know, you know, this person isn't real because I can't see them. I don't know what they look like. I've never heard their voice. So this isn't a real person on the other end of this. Uh, and there's been plenty of moments where, you know, two, three, four days later after I've said something that I'm like, fuck, like, you know, maybe I just crushed that guy's day because uh, of my opinions about his work, but he put, you know, so much, you know, sweat and energy into, yeah, calling 35, 40 people to, to write a report, you know, am I, uh, is it, yeah. is it better that I, that I roasted him on, on social media or should I have reached out to him personally is, is something I've, I've been kind of battling with lately. So, uh, yeah, I mean, documenting, so documenting stuff, and you know, getting people to talk to you on the record and getting it down in black and white on the internet forever, hopefully, is a, is valuable work. You know, whatever the whatever the sort of take of the day is on it, and even if the spin of the article is a little bit, even if it's a little bit off, you know, you don't we don't know if that's if, that, if that's just a result of the limitations of of time or the limitations of the reporter's ability. I mean, because that's a real consideration too. Um, how smart is the person and how, how good are they at putting, putting facts together in a coherent way? I mean, that's a big factor in how stories come out or was it edited in a way that they weren't completely happy with, but they didn't want to fight every single battle with their editor. You know, I mean, there's a lot of, there's a lot that goes into those pieces. And I, and my view is like the documentation that's done when you call people and you, you know, you establish facts is valuable work and without it we don't we're just you know we're swimming in a soup of of lukewarm takes and i think it should be my my position on give, give it the benefit of the doubt unless it's just egregious or unless i can um you know point out a specific thing in a constructive way that's wrong with it that's just that's just my I will, I'll quit preaching about it. <laughs> no, I, and I like the word egregious. That was actually the that was actually the word I was looking for last week when I was talking to somebody. And I couldn't think of it, so egregious. I got to remember to write that down. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, so I've I've had hey. you for an hour hour and ten minutes. Is is there anything else on your on your mind you want to you want to? Well, I just wanted to find out. So you're so you're you can cut this out if you want to, but you don't have obviously you don't have to. Are so you're a coach right now? Are you coaching right now? I am, yeah. So, so what ages do you coach? In? Uh, what these, are you? Yeah, the the guys I'm with right now are 2005s and 2006s. So, what's that? You okay. thir- U13s, I think. Yeah. Is it with like a well known uh, a well known academy that we all know, or uh, is that so you don't like to talk about on the air? No, it's it's it, it's it's something I don't talk about. I don't talk about frequently. Um, so, and, and this is something that I think is commonly misunderstood is that I'm, I'm not uh, part of, you know, the, the three, four, three story on the field. I'm, I'm only part of the three, four, three story. Um, now that I host the podcast, obviously, but, um, I, I was just a member of the three, four, three community that was learning from Gary and learning from Brian, um, for, for many, many years. And so I've never worked in an official capacity with, with Brian on the field on anything other than you know, a couple soccer camps. Um, 
And so I've always coached and, and people, if anybody knows of my work on the field, they probably recognize me for coaching high school soccer. And so that's where the bulk of my coaching career uh, has taken place. It was uh, for, I think, five years with a, a boys high school team and then three years with a girls high school team with uh, mm. with some club soccer happening simultaneously uh, along the way. And then now I've gone, a lot of people probably under, or know this about me as well, or probably don't know this about me as well, sorry. Uh, I've gone a number of years without coaching because I've, I've hit a couple different roadblocks and the, the C license that I just finished over the weekend. Uh, and hopefully I, I get good news about that in the next week or so. Um, yeah, good luck. Has, yeah. Thank you. Um, thanks. Uh, but that's been a big barrier to entry, uh, for me to, you know, obtain a job that I think not, not necessarily that I deserve, but that I want. Um, I, I don't, I don't have a desire to coach U10 boys or girls, anything. Um, and, and so to get into a development academy job or whatever it, you know, there's a process and unfortunately I've been denied the opportunity to, to go through that process on three occasions. And so finally on the fourth try, I got in and, and got through the entire class. So hopefully, uh, hopefully this opens a couple doors for me, but yeah, so right now currently working with a group of 2005s and 2006s, uh, about three hours North of LA and three and a half hours south of San Jose. So that's San Luis Obispo, California. It's a very small club. Um, it's uh, you know, probably borderline uh, recreational soccer, but the guys, they they recently went to nationals. I wasn't their coach when they went to nationals. Uh, had, a, had a decent performance, and now they're kind of looking for a, a new experience or a different experience, and so now I'm, I'm jumping on board with them. Awesome. Awesome. And your, your background is, I know your Twitter handle is that Croatian guy. Did you, did you grow up in Croatia? Or were you born in Croatia? No, my my dad is from Croatia, and so that's my okay. that's my link to there. And so the the whole reason behind the the Twitter handle is that nobody knew how to pronounce my last name growing up, and so I, <laughs> I would I would always have to explain like, hey, yeah, like I'm Croatian, and people are like, what's that? Uh, so okay, here comes another explanation. So yeah, I, I kind of just got labeled the that Croatian guy at some point in my childhood, and. And I've made it my social media handle on just about everything. That's funny. Yeah. Cool, man. Yeah. Well, good luck with the club in San Luis Obispo. Do you live up there? Like, uh, right. is that right on the coast? It is. Yeah. Pismo beach is where, is where I'm calling home right now. It's, it's pretty amazing. Oh, that's one of the most beautiful places in the world. That, that is stretch, stretch of coast. Yeah, it's a little Yellow. bit. It's a little bit north of Santa Barbara, a little bit south of Big Sur. So it's yeah, it's 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 an amazing place to be in. We just unfortunately have zero competitive soccer here. <laughs> so do you drive? You guys end up driving to LA a lot. Uh, that's the story. That's that's the story of our club soccer. It's like for the longest time, the most competitive league in Southern California was called Coast Soccer League, and some of the you know the biggest names in, in, in us soccer history are probably played in that league and they refused to let us have a home field in our hometown. So we would have to drive two hours South just to have a home game just because none of the teams from LA wanted to drive all the way up to, to play us. So we had to drive to them to play, which is super unfortunate. Now, uh, with the introduction of the SCDSL and the USYS and, um, leagues or the, sorry, the super Y league 
and SoCal Premier, Nor- NorCal Premier, all kinds of different leagues have, have popped up uh, that have made it more much much more competitive. And so the leagues are becoming more uh, accepting of teams that are further and further away because they obviously they, they need teams to fill their leagues. So they've they've kind of bent over now and they're willing to to give us you know home fields where where we want them because they want us part of their league now instead of giving the money to someone else. Hmm. SoCal cool. so, SoCal U Soccer man is is a I know everybody says you know U Soccer in their area is a, a crazy animal but Southern California I think is is a special special case. It's a very special case. Interesting. I mean, from afar, it looks like you know the best place for youth soccer. As absolutely, well. I absolutely agree. It's it's funny. Maybe after I tell this story, we can kind of. I, I I definitely want to talk to you about one thing before uh, I let okay. you go. But okay. um, but yeah, context context matters, right? And so when people are looking at you know the the development academy you know, standings. Um, from this last season, they, they might see that certain teams uh, didn't perform as, as well as others, right? And and, and you might see a, a few select teams like, oh, wow, like that team, you know, won a shitload of games and, and scored a bunch of goals and, and whatnot, right? Or they, they beat this team, you know, 5-0 or 5-1, like what happened? That's a total upset. It's like, okay, but context matters. So how many of that team's best players are playing on that uh, that organization's USL team or their professional right. team or, you know, so the U 17s did really good, uh, or sorry, the U 19s did, did really good, but the 17s didn't, um, well, how many of the U 17 players were playing on the U 19 team? Uh, how many of the players were away at national team camps, things like that. Yeah. And, yeah. and not, and not just our country, like how many, how many went to Mexico, how many went elsewhere right and so there's all these like little factors that that you know if you just look at stats or if you just look at standings it's it's really hard to paint the picture and so yeah when this is going to be the next week or so is going to be an interesting week when everybody kind of comes together for the playoffs uh the da playoffs and so then you get to see like all right so team from west virginia uh how are you gonna hold up against you know the teams from southern california or the teams from texas or the teams from new york like you, you know, you dominated your, your area in your neck of the woods, but uh, you know, what's it going to look like now when you play against these full rosters? Like I'm sure Atlanta United is going to drop, you know, probably Carlton and, and some of the other guys that, you know, play with their USL team regularly because they want to win this damn thing. Right. And many other teams are going to do the same thing. So, uh, it, yeah, when, when you get to see, these, yeah, these I hope full, they don't these, do that. <laughs> <laughs> I hope they well, don't. We'll see. Whatever. Yeah. They, yeah. I know they they've done that before. They've done that in the past. A lot of, a lot of people have done that in the past. So, we'll see we'll see what happens. I think everything kicks off next week. Yeah, that would be that would be a counter, I think, Carlton's interest at this point in his career. Yeah. Yeah. You would think so. To... <laughs> um all right, Adam. Let's, that uh, is, all that all that is really. I mean, one one point on that. It's like all that is really interesting, and it's like that, that's one of the beauties of this whole sort of universe that we're talking about is that there is so much complexity to it out at every level. You know, just because a kid's just because a kid signed a contract with uh, Schalke, say, you know, this is a totally different scenario. But just a kid signs a contract with Schalke, people are like, "Ooh, really good. That's really great." 
well, you know, you look into it a little bit. There's there's been like two kids in the last five years who graduated from the U19 at Schalke to the first team. It's not not a golden ticket. Um, nope. And that that's just one that's just one example of like there's all these there's all these little shades of uh, shades of context that are necessary in understanding this world. And I'm just like get, barely getting started in understanding it, which is driven home to me by what you're saying about youth clubs in SoCal. So <laughs> I, I agree. Uh, no, and it goes back to what you said earlier. It's like you know, this isn't science. There's there's no rights and wrongs. There's no absolutes, and so it's very very right. hard for for people to to decipher. But again, I'll go back to what I said earlier that the way that you're going about it by you know watching a shitload of these games and you know really following the 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 paths of these players is the right way to be going about this. And and I think that the conversations that you and Greg have on your show are worth listening to for that reason is that, you know, you guys aren't just taking the, or you guys aren't just doing the hot takes. Like you guys don't just watch a game and be like, Oh my God, you know, this guy had a, had an amazing game. He's going to be on the national team for sure. It's like, no, you guys are yeah. watching four five, six, seven, eight games. And then you guys are making educated, you know, statements about these players. And, and like I said earlier, I think too, is that that, that fills a, a niche and it's a niche within a niche, I guess. And, yeah. and and you guys are doing a good job with it. So, yeah, that's the the whole genesis of wanting to bring you on, and and now the culmination of of an hour and twenty one minutes almost of uh, of conversation. Yeah, thanks for thanks for saying that, and thanks for having me on. I really really enjoyed it. It's an honor to it's an honor to speak with you. Right. Thank you for listening to another episode of the 343 Podcast, and thank you to my guest, Adam Bells. Once again, I cannot stress enough how important his work is and his co-host, Greg, um, how important their work is to the American soccer community. So I highly, highly recommend checking out what they do and getting to know them and their work. If you would like to find more episodes of this podcast and more information about the coaching education program that helped build some of the players that Adam and Greg are pretty excited about right now, you can check out the 343 Coaching Education Program by visiting 343coaching.com. That's the numbers 34 and 3, coaching, all spelled out, dot com. And here is Tom Beyer to talk a little bit about his experience with one of the online coaching courses provided at 343coaching.com. And I can tell you, after someone who's done a lot of coaches' education, both as a student as an instructor, that you will learn more by watching one or two of their videos that you might learn on any full-time course. Because the, the one thing that I liked about what they're presenting is, again, it's simplicity, man. It's very simple. It's not a lot of, you know, complicated words. It makes sense. And it goes right directly to the heart of, of, of the game on, on, on how, to, how to develop um, not just, you know, individual players, but develop teams as well. Once again, you can find all of information available at 343coaching.com. All right. Thank you for listening, and we will catch you guys next time here on the 343 Podcast.